0: From Washington, D.C., across the nation and around the world, stand by for an overview of the hottest topics and people being discussed on air, online, at the coffee shop and across the backyard fence. Powered by the research of Talkers magazine, the national conversation, it's time for the Michael Harrison Wrap. Here's Michael Harrison.
1: Thank you, Victoria Jones. Monday, March 7th through Friday, March 11th, 2022, it was a week of war, both military and economic, as gas prices in America and the UK soared to almost record shattering prices and talk media conversation about COVID 19 fell to a record two year low. We're about to embark upon a powerful hour of black belt talk radio during which your tolerance for hearing different but legitimate points of view will be tested. We've got lefties, righties, And fence-sitters, please don't get angry. Just listen closely, and while doing so, maintain a degree of educated skepticism, regardless of whether or not you agree. We'll be joined by Kevin Casey at the Talkers Communication Center in Springfield, Massachusetts, with the top ten topics of the week. Graham Mack in London, England, talking about the British view of the war in Ukraine. Victoria Jones in Washington, D.C., taking us on a tour of the inner workings of Vladimir Putin's head. Michael Olson in Santa Cruz, California sharing insights into Xi Jinping's thought process as he negotiates his relationship with Russia. John DiPietro in the border city of Reggio, Poland, discussing his conversations with refugees pouring in from nearby Ukraine. And retired talk radio great Ron Owens of KGO San Francisco fame, commenting on the rise in crime that has degraded life in the city by the bay. An impressive array of influential yappers from across the country, with microphones, smartphones, and digital recording devices sharing their observations and the feelings of their target constituents with whom they do a daily dance of affirmation in a fragmented, noisy world where we try to avoid the modern day syndrome of seeking victory at the expense of truth. Welcome to the Michael Harrison Wrap, heard coast to coast and around the world on great radio stations across the US and the UK. The past week's hottest political and social topics discussed in the American talk media. Information's gathered from a variety of sources including data tracked by the broadcasting trade publication Talkers Magazine of which I'm editor and publisher. This installment of the Michael Harrison Rap is being brought to you in part by Bernadette Duncan's book that takes the reader into the world of talk radio, titled Yappy Days, Behind the Scenes with Newsers, Schmoozers, Boozers and Losers, available now at Amazon.com. Joining us now is Kevin Casey, executive editor of Talkers Magazine. Kevin, give us a rundown of the 10 most talked about stories on talk shows in America this past week.
2: Thank you, Michael. That number 10 this week, International Women's Day. This past Tuesday, March 8, was International Women's Day, a global holiday endorsed by the United Nations to commemorate the cultural, political, and socioeconomic achievements of women. It
1: basically serves as a focal point in the women's rights movement, bringing attention to such issues issues as gender equality, reproductive rights, and violence and abuse against women. Obviously, advancements in the women's rights movement have been made with various degrees of progress from nation to nation around the world.
2: At number nine, a tie between climate change and immigration reform. A continuing stream of scientific studies and reports indicate that climate change is indeed an existential human issue, although it remains a political hot button in the United States because of its economic ramifications.
1: The current issue of high gas prices underscores american dependency on fossil fuels still supplied by tyrannical dictatorships of course the matter of immigration reform is one that has its roots in news talk radio and remains a hot topic from week to week regardless of how it's covered by the rest of the media
2: at number eight big tech and social media the major thrust of most talk media stories regarding big tech revolves around the first amendment and protecting the spirit of free speech in america as well as privacy rights However, Facebook and Instagram have relaxed their anti-violence and anti-hate policies in some countries when it comes to resisting Russian military aggression and calling for Vladimir Putin's assassination.
1: Meantime, most stories discussed about social media focus on the negative psychological impact its incessant connectedness imposes upon young people.
2: At number seven this week, a three-way tie between crime, violence, and race relations. Crime and violence on our city's streets remain the top political issues impacting elections in urban areas across America, causing even liberal commentators and politicians to complain about the radical wokeness of district attorneys and judges in such cities as San Francisco and Philadelphia.
1: On the racial front, there's always something happening. In Chicago, disgraced actor Jussie Smollett was sentenced to 150 days in jail for staging a hate crime against himself. He still maintains his innocence. And in Atlanta, movie director Ryan Coogler was briefly and mistakenly arrested for making an innocent bank withdrawal while being black.
2: At number 6, COVID-19. This is the lowest ranking of the coronavirus on the talker's Chart since the World Health Organization proclaimed it a pandemic two years ago this week.
1: Approximately 6 million people have died around the world due to COVID-19, with new studies indicating the number could be as much as three times that figure. Meantime, mask mandates across America continue to be rolled back as the number of infections decrease.
2: At number five, the 2022 and 2024 elections. It's always political season in America.
1: And now we've reached the point of dealing with both the midterm and presidential elections at the same time. Meanwhile, the relationship between the GOP and former president Donald Trump remains a centerpiece of conservative political discussion.
2: At number four, the January 6th committee investigation and convictions. Michael Flynn, former President Donald Trump's one-time national security advisor, invoked his Fifth Amendment right during a deposition before the January 6th committee on Thursday, declining to answer the panel's questions.
1: And a federal jury on Tuesday swiftly convicted the first accused January 6th rioter to go on trial. After only three hours of deliberations, the jury found Guy Wesley Raffet guilty on five counts. Many more convictions are expected to follow.
2: At number three this week, the economy and gas prices. As a result of economic consequences of the war in Ukraine, soaring gas prices are approaching the $5 per gallon mark.
1: That, of course, is fueling, no pun intended, the present state of runaway inflation, along with the supply chain breakdowns and labor shortage plaguing the national economy as we hopefully dig our way out of the pandemic era.
2: At number two, U.S. relations with China and Russia. The three-way balance of influence between the world's superpowers has become a subject of intense intrigue as Xi Jinping cautiously backs his buddy Vladimir Putin in a friendship that, as he puts it, knows no limits.
1: Of course, the big fear keeping the world on edge is the danger of this conflict rapidly escalating to a nuclear confrontation between Russia and NATO.
2: And at number one this week, the Russia-Ukraine war. The invasion of Ukraine by the Russian military machine has become the dominant topic of conversation in the American talk media and throughout the world.
1: And it appears to be the opening chapter in the emergence of a post-pandemic era that will soon render the boundaries of the past five years of political conversation obsolete. Hang on to your hat. There's a new bumpy and wild ride ahead. Thank you, Kevin Casey from Talkers Magazine. You're plugged into the Michael Harrison rap. The Russian invasion of its neighbor and former Soviet satellite Ukraine has remained at the top of the Talkers chart for the third week in a row. As you know, this show is heard across the UK as well as the United States. I checked in with our London correspondent, Graham Mack of Podcast Radio UK, to get the British perspective on the war.
3: Well, it's tricky because people are seeing the picture. We're bombarded by pictures of it. Constantly on rolling news on the TV all the time, so you can feel nothing but sympathy for what the people of Ukraine are going through. I mean, it really is horrific. But we're standing, we're standing by, cheering on the ones that are, are the fighters that are the fighting the Russian invaders, and cheering and literally clapping in Parliament when the Ukrainian leader Zelensky is is in parliament on the big screen and everything but all the while we're saying no we're not going to get involved so it's it, it's you're pretty torn really you know that you shouldn't stand by and let horrific things happen to people but then again the consequences of getting involved are so that the odd, the stakes are so high um you've got that going on as well.
1: Yeah, and and I'm sure it's political. I'm sure there's different factions, but of course, you know, um the UK is so much closer to um to Russia than the US and uh you know NATO stands as a solid block or at least that's the that's the idea. So is there um a fear, a tension in the air among the population that um we could be dangerously close to a NATO Russia war?
3: Yeah. And the last time I checked, there are 200 targets in this little island of the UK for nuclear weapons. So if it got to that stage where Putin just has to redefine what war is, he could redefine that the sanctions are now so tough, it's an act of war, and we would be at war with Russia. And there are, you know, I live about 40 miles away from London. London is obviously a target. I live about three miles away from Stevenage, where British Aerospace is based, where they build missiles. So that's a target. And I live, I think it's probably about 20 miles south of Cambridge. And Cambridge is a, I don't know why, probably because of the university, but that is a a target as well. So we wouldn't stand a chance. And I lived in New Zealand and Australia for seven years in each country during the 80s and took out citizenship in both countries. And Julie and I have made sure that our New Zealand passports are up to date Mm. because the second it is announced that we are at war with Russia, we're going to New Zealand just for a little while, just to see what happens. And hopefully if it does happen after a few weeks, they sort it all out. But if it doesn't, I'm not sure we'd be coming back. I don't know. But we'd definitely be going, if we could get a flight.
1: Okay, then, we're, then we're talking about a severe, doing. dire situation. Obviously, you're, you're expressing the emotions of uh, being that close to uh, the situation. And it's, uh, it's very dramatic and it's very compelling. Politically, is there any kind of a debate going on among the British, both uh, in terms of the government and in terms of the public and the media? Um, or is it all basically um, a united front?
3: I would say it's a United Front, but there are calls, you know, there will be, you know, there's radio phone-ins on should we support a no-fly zone, which could be seen if, as NATO getting involved, because it could mean RAF jets are shooting down Russian jets. Some people think we should, and some people think it's wrong that we should stand by and let it all happen to the, the population of Ukraine. There's. It's also been politically, you see, we voted for Brexit, And a lot of people who voted for Brexit, I voted to stay in the EU, they voted for that because they didn't like the free access that people from, in particular, Eastern Europe were getting to they could just walk into Britain. And there were people thought that, uh, for instance, Polish people were taking jobs, they were uh, stretching the resources of our National Health Service. And so they wanted Brexit to stop immigration. And so now that there's a refugee crisis, Britain has been pretty slow to accept refugees from Ukraine, you know, l- less so than than what is the EU that we're not part of anymore. So some people are saying that we should let more refugees from Ukraine into Britain. And some people are saying, no, we shouldn't. And the government who got elected on the back of brexit boris is there because he was a pro brexit candidate for right, prime minister I remember. he's got to be very very careful on that one it's a very dodgy line to tread they've got to show some humanitarian uh, responsibility but also they've, they've still got to pander to the people who put him where he is who were the pro brexit people which was nearly half that which was just over half the country
1: what's the attitude in uh in great britain toward the biden administration
3: well he's sleepy joe biden he's not He's he's another U.S. president. I mean, Trump wasn't well liked, but now Biden is seen as as, as a bit of a doddery old fool, and um, we're hoping that you know, common sense can prevail. But yeah, uh, okay. Well, it's speaking not good, not speaking
1: good. of uh, young, dynamic leadership, Zelensky addressed uh, the um, British Parliament. Uh, he was on a big screen. He, he wasn't there, but he may as well have been. And uh, he, uh, he quoted uh, some of Winston Churchill's remarks that he made, I think, back in 1940 in that very same room. The ones that are famous, you know, the iconic, we'll fight on the air and we'll fight on
4: the sea and we'll
1: fight, fight on, them the on
3: the beaches, fight them in the streets. <laughs> yeah. We'll never yeah. surrender.
4: We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields. And in the streets, we shall fight in the hills, we shall never surrender.
1: That uh, resonated, didn't it? That uh, that, it that did, struck yeah. a chord in the British psyche, I understand.
3: Yeah, it's because people have a support for, for him and his people. But how far we want to go with that is another thing. You know, we're looking at um, outrageous fuel prices to come, and they've already gone up partly because of Brexit. But partly because we're surviving covid you know we're still not fully out of that right now it's one pound 55 for a liter of petrol so to put it into your measurements we're paying nine dollars a gallon for petrol for gasoline and nine dollars a gallon and electricity is is already going up um julie and i we only live in a small flat and we're only paying 80 pounds a month but julie's friend who lives in a big house with a lot of kids uh, they were paying 200 pounds a month and they've just had a letter saying it's going up to 600 pounds a month. That's equivalent of of 800 US dollars for electricity. And this is only the beginning. We haven't fully felt the impact of stopping uh, Russian oil and gas getting into the country. That's going to get a lot worse. So people are realizing they're going to have to pay for this. Well, we all know we've got to pay for the, we haven't paid for the pandemic yet. So we've got, we've got this still to come. So it'll be interesting to see how much support this gets in maybe a few months time if it if it goes that long you know
1: that's our london correspondent graham mack of podcast radio in the uk coming up next a look inside the head of vladimir putin with victoria jones in the nation's capital you're plugged into the michael harrison rap Bernadette Duncan spent 26 years as a radio talk show producer. In her new book, Yappy Days, Behind the Scenes with Newsers, Schmoozers, Boozers and Losers, she shares her adventures in the trenches of big-time talk radio during the changing backdrop of America's pre- and post-9-11 realities. This exciting story includes Bernadette's impressions of the quirky celebrity talk show hosts whom she served during her career, Larry King, Sally Jesse Raphael, Gil Gross, Tom Snyder, Lou Dobbs, Charles Osgood, and more. It's full of anecdotes about hundreds of high-profile guests from media, show business, and politics, also quirky, ego-driven, and neurotic. Yappy Days, behind the scenes with newsers, schmoozers, boozers, and losers. An analytical look at the media, journalism, and the complex nature of ego. Get it now at Amazon.com. Continuing now with the Michael Harrison Wrap. You might have noticed that many news sources, politicians, and media correspondents are describing the Russian invasion of Ukraine as Putin's war, attributing its conception and execution to the whims and desires of the Kremlin strongman. Here to share some insights is our Washington correspondent, the executive director of the D.C. radio company, Victoria Jones. Victoria, certainly it seems that... uh, Everybody's trying to figure out what's going on in Vladimir Putin's head. It it seems so much Putin's war. You know, Putin sends tanks in, Putin's bombing hospital, Putin this, Putin that. What's your impression of this whole Putin-centric crisis?
0: Well, I think it is a Putin-centric crisis because Putin, according to those who've been tracking him, is trying to remake Russia in the image of the past, because he wants the old Russia back. Not even the Soviet Union, but the grand Russia. Um, Mikhail Zegar is a a former editor in chief of an independent TV news channel, and, and he's spoken to all kinds of Kremlin insiders. Uh, and he wrote this book called All the Kremlin's Men Inside the Court of mm. Vladimir Putin, which is really interesting because it really is a court. And uh, it's fascinating that how much insight he's got into this man who is utterly isolated now. He really only talks to one other guy who he's been friends with since the 90s. And that's it even his insiders he doesn't trust anymore. Mm-hmm. That's it.
1: Yeah, that long table is very telling. Uh, it, it shows that he doesn't want to be within dagger range. I guess, of even his generals or or his confidants, which uh, is very very telling. Indeed. That's interesting. You know, he wants to make Russia great again. You know, there's that whole, um, well, you know, Russia has a lot of mythology. So does the United States. So does Great Britain, you know, where where we we build up things about the the, the glory of the empire and the glory of the nation and God looks down on our country and, and all of these things. Well, Russia is steeped in that Mother Russia stuff. I mean, it's it's part of their history and we would be hypocritical not to at least understand it a bit. However... Yes,
0: we we must.
1: Right, but we'd also be stupid not to realize its limitations, not just for Russia, but for for every country. I mean, Hitler played into that, the fatherland, Deutschland, you know, (laughs) Deutschland über alles. You know, it it, it plays to that nationalistic pride that people have. And um, in this case, I wonder... Whether most of it is coming from Putin's own sense of grandeur that he wants to be among the great czars, that he wants to be up there with, you know, Stalin, Khrushchev and Brezhnev and, um, you know, uh, the ones that expanded the empire as opposed to Gorbachev, who, you know, was from Russian perspective weak and the empire fell apart. Um, I wonder if this pressure is coming from public sentiment from other members of the Kremlin, or this is his own craziness. What do you think?
0: I think it's his own craziness, egged on by Kovalchuk, who is this other guy, who is actually a a brainiac, doctorate in physics, uh, but not only a man of science, he's an ideologue, he, he's he got this worldview that combines a kind of orthodox Christian mysticism, also anti-American conspiracy theories, and hedonism, or hedonism, however you pronounce that, mm-hmm. and apparently Putin subscribes to that too, and this orthodox Christian mysticism, by the way, is very much a part of this Russian invasion, and should not be dismissed so you've got this this whole strange backdrop to this. And Putin apparently is living in the past. He has no interest in the present. He's not interested in the economy, social issues, the pandemic. In fact, he's annoyed, according to AIDS. He's annoyed by all these things. He's only interested in the past now.
1: So he's 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 literally living in the past. Um, uh, he's uh, a wash in nostalgia, is what you're saying.
0: Yes, in fact. Um- President Macron of France was stunned according to a French diplomat when Putin gave him this long long history lecture during one of their talks just last month. He was sort of sort of shocked by this, but apparently this is what he does. He wants to recover from years of what he sees as humiliation By the West, and he sees Russia now as getting strong and the West as weak, particularly since there was only one politician he took seriously, and she's gone, and that was Angela Merkel.
1: That's very interesting. Now it's going to be fascinating to see how his um, fellow, um, you know, bureaucrats, Kremlinites, uh, party leaders, oligarchs. I frankly don't have a, an accurate handle on how the whole thing works there. It's shrouded in mystery to me. But one thing I find hard to believe that a that a nation the size and complexity of Russia would line up completely 100% behind a dictator. That, that, to me, doesn't ring true. And I don't see in Putin the type of crazy fanaticism and charisma and oratory that marked Adolf Hitler. Hitler literally tapped into the psyche of the German people at a very sensitive time and mesmerized almost the entire nation. I don't see that happening with Putin, this being the the largest European land war since World War II, um, you know, you you come from Great Britain where memories of World War II linger longer than they do among day-to-day life in the United States, I, I believe. And oh, yeah. Uh, would you Would you agree that that's a, an accurate assessment that he that he doesn't have the whole nation, you know, mesmerized and under his thumb as Hitler did?
0: I agree that he's not got that kind of charisma. Um, I do think he's got the narcissism, not the charisma. However, what he has got uh, and, and Hitler had it too, but in a different way because he didn't have the technology. He has got the cyber machine. He's got the news machine and, and, Russians are not getting any kind of factual information about what's going on in the war unless they're able somehow to get it smuggled to them. They're not hearing the truth about what's going on. They don't know that uh, a maternity hospital was bombed. They don't know that's what it was. They don't know what's going on. Unless you're a supporter of someone like Alexei Navalny and you're you're, you're brave enough to continue to do that, um, you know, you're not hearing about these things. They are not not getting facts. Independent media have been closed down. So people are not hearing it. They're hearing a constant drumbeat of disinformation, not even misinformation. And they're afraid to talk to neighbors and to to find out what's really going on because you don't know who might uh, tell on you to somebody else. So it's a very scary time for people.
1: What do you think about maybe though the um, uh, the economists, the military brass, the people who are on the front line of some of the ill effects that are the result of this adventure? Uh, I can't imagine that they buy into it all.
0: I think that is a possible weakness for Putin, and I think that if he beca- as he becomes more and more isolated, which I think he will, um, and, and of course the intelligentsia journalists, executives, actors, artists, all these people, they are leaving the country even without their possessions. And that suits him. He wants them gone. Um, But I think these military people, uh, some of whom are uh, very sensible, very logical, if he starts to give some really crazy orders, at some point, some people are going to say, uh, no. And that is going to be the interesting flex point, I think. That's our
1: Washington correspondent, the executive director of the D.C. radio company, Victoria Jones. You're plugged into the Michael Harrison rap. Let's keep the conversation about different aspects of the Russia Ukraine war in focus. Let's explore the Chinese connection. Joining us now from our affiliate, KSCO, in Santa Cruz, California, is the co host of China Watch Radio, Michael Olson. Michael, you guys at China Watch Radio are on top of the Chinese situation, and obviously one of the dominating forces in the conversation is China's role as an ally with Russia and Putin in the Russia-Ukraine war. What are some of the things that um, that you're you're thinking and you're finding out? What's being talked about in terms of how China handles itself in what could be a tricky role for them, I imagine?
5: What could be a tricky role could also be uh, proved to be a very beneficial role for China as we speak uh, for several for a number of reasons first of all uh, China appears to be in a position uh, of securing from Russia that which the commodities that it really needs most which is energy and food uh, especially if uh, you know Russia takes over Ukraine as it's supposed to do Uh, it will indeed secure the breadbasket of Europe and secure a a huge uh, supply of food, which the Chinese people desperately need now. So that looks to be a pretty good deal for um, uh, Xi Jinping. But even better than that is in forging a relationship with China, Um, I don't know if you ever had the opportunity to do some cross-country skiing uh, Michael, mm. but w- when you do cross-country ski through some virgin snow, it always has helps to have somebody out in front of you, breaking ground, breaking through the snow for you, mm. so that your <laughs> so that your skiing is much easier than the person that's breaking through the new snow. Yeah, right? well, I mean it's it's also and the the, new... the
1: other analogy is paving the way. I mean, you know, paving paving the, the way
5: exactly, yeah. and that appears to be exactly what. Uh, Putin is doing for Xi Jinping with respect to uh, Taiwan. Now, I'm certain that uh, uh, Taiwan is looking at this and going, oh my goodness, this is very frightening indeed. Uh, and we'll have to see how all that shakes out, of course. But I'm certain that it is a very big deal for um, uh, Xi Jinping to be able to sit there and watch uh, what. Uh, Vladimir Putin is doing. And the other thing is, is that it appears as almost as if the two uh, are working in concert to form a whole new world order of their own that is um, different than the way things have been going for a long time. You know, the United States has really had a, a, a stranglehold on the world's money by by virtue of its um, banking system. So we've controlled international commerce by forcing everybody to, u- to use the dollar. And um, it appears as though that uh, Xi Jinping and Putin both would love to displace the dollar, uh, perhaps with a digital wand. Uh, in which case the United States would lose the ability to put sanctions on those that uh, it wants to put sanctions on. So this is a hugely interesting time we live in. Um, And there's, you know, great opportunity in in times like this and great danger.
1: Do you Uh, think that... um... I think
5: everybody's trying to figure out... um, which is which,
1: as I, we speak. Right. I know you don't have a crystal ball and and, and and these things do remain mysterious, but do you think that there's danger to China and danger to Russia for them to get too close and, you know, uh, you know get to bed <laughs> together? Can they trust each other? And do they fear well, making it, a monster they, out they, of each other?
5: That's a very good question, Michael, because they never have before. And, you know, they've actually had uh, border wars among themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's probably nothing more frightening to a superpower than another superpower living next door, because who knows what their real intentions are. Um, so, yes, I suppose uh, they're both looking at each other and saying, can I trust you? You know, but they had a big meeting right before the Olympics. They got together. And they issued a 5,000-word communique. And they said that, by golly, we can work together. There's nothing that can stop us from working together.
1: Yeah, they said something and, to the effect um, of their friendship knows no limits, <laughs> famous last words.
5: Exactly. Their friendship knows no limits. So that, that says pretty much says it all, doesn't it?
1: That's Michael Olson, co-host of China Watch Radio, heard weekly on our affiliate in Santa Cruz, California, the great KSCO. By the way, if you're interested in what's happening in China that directly impacts American interests, one of the best sources in the media to visit is China Watch Radio. It's a weekly two-hour show that features a panel of co-hosts bolstered by a wide array of very interesting and informative guests from academia, government, business, and media. It takes a candid pro-American view of our nation's tenuous and growingly adversarial relationship with the Chinese Communist Party and the People's Republic of China, and it doesn't allow itself to be restrained or influenced by political correctness. This important show originates every Thursday between 2 and 4 p.m. Pacific time. Check it out at ksco.com for live streaming or on-demand replays. Coming up next, an amazing report from Poland, mere miles from the Ukrainian border, You won't want to miss what talk show host John DiPietro has to say. You're plugged into the Michael Harrison rap.
6: This report is brought to you by Genesis 2 Project, G2P. Recently, the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, the ODNI, released a preliminary report on possible threats posed by UFOs, now known as Unidentified Aerial Phenomena, UAP, and the progress the Department of Defense, UAP Task Force, has made in understanding any threats. Dr. J.C. Van Velkenberg is a former Los Alamos National Lab biophysicist who has been working with G2P to bring scientifically sound UAP data to the public. G2P has released the first scientifically authenticated documentation of UAPs, including images captured with infrared technology. Primo Forensics performed the digital forensic analysis. In tandem with the ODNI report, these data support the development of relevant processes, policies, technologies, and training for the U.S. military and government personnel upon encountering UAP. Visit genesis2project.com.
1: Continuing now with the Michael Harrison Wrap as we discuss the hottest topics of the past week in the National Conversation. Earlier this week, radio talk show host John DiPietro of Rhode Island station WNRI packed up his microphone, smartphone and protective clothing and booked a flight to Poland with the hope of being able to get across the border into Ukraine and report back to his listeners in the U.S. It's been an eye-opening experience to say the least. John, it's great to have you on the line. Where are you at this very
7: moment? Right now I am in uh, Rezel, Poland. It is um the closest airport to the Ukrainian border. It's a city actually the size of uh, Providence, 170,000 people. Um but it's also a big pathway through of uh the the streets are really remarkable. It's it's all people you see uh families, there's no men it's all women children maybe older people all walking with suitcases and it's just it's flooded with refugees from ukraine where are the men well if you're 18 to 60 you have to stay behind and fight so it's it's pretty dramatic it's taken them um the people i've interviewed and i was fortunate to secure a translator it's taken them several days to get out of ukraine two days on the train plus they get delayed at the border it's also so bone chilling cold right now. So you have some men that are actually in hiding. Some people, most people are still staying behind, hiding in their basements, afraid to get out of their homes. Others, when it's either destroyed or damaged, they uh, make their way to the train and then they're coming into Poland. Yesterday I was at Presmo. That is the the really the only largest city right before you hit the border. It's 15 miles from the border of Ukraine. And and that was, and I'm not being overly dramatic. I mean, it, it is like something out of Shinla's List. That's what it occurred to me. First of all, the buildings are still very old, historic, but it is
5: packed,
7: trains packed, people allowed to bring one suitcase, strollers, uh, dogs, uh, all these uh, w- women, children, all different ages, all cram coming, piling out, and they don't know where they're going next. Um, horrific stories. I interviewed this these two teenagers yesterday. They they learned English from YouTube. They were uh, terrific, and they were such nice kids. And they just couldn't take it any longer. And they talked about the morning when the bombing started. And now that you know, the boy's 15 years old and actually had gone to his first dance and there was a girl he liked and now she's fled somewhere with her family, all his friends are scattered. Um it was just kind of poignant to me, Michael, as we're coming out of this time that and I understand that parents upset about kids wearing masks in school, um and everything children missed out on the pandemic. This is just another level. And despite it all, they you know, they they just it's so inspiring. They they love their leader. They love their country. They don't want to be refugees. They want to go back home. They actually don't even want to come to America. Mm-hmm. They—it's—it's um, it's just horrific the way they describe that. Just hours on hours on end of a uh, of of the bombing and the sheer terror of it. Um, many older people apparently uh, are unable to make it down to the basement, so then they're just upstairs in the home. And then um, some people have described that some of the older people are they. They want to be, they like defiant. That I, I refuse. I will not leave, and I'm not going to go hide in the basement. If I'm going to go out, this is the way I'm going to go out. It's, um, it's, it's really riveting to listen to their interviews. And again, I'm very fortunate that on day one I scooped up a, uh, a, a tremendous translator. How are the Polish people that live in this city? How are they?
1: Handling this disruption to their to their way of life. One, I imagine they're terrified at the thought of they're nuclear war between NATO honest. and Russia. Yes. But um, what, what's that? What, what's their take
7: you know, on this? Um, Poland, the people again that I've talked to, the older ones, they they almost feel like not not, you know, not we're not going through this again. We know where this story leads. They're very adamant that they do not want to have. They don't. If 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 Putin takes Ukraine, that makes Poland the neighbor. Um, there's definitely increased presence. I mean, it came out this week that the U.S. has moved their Patriot missiles from Germany now to, to Poland, and that's uh, about 10 miles north from where I am right now in uh, Rezel. But the, the Polish people, this the whole city is uh, is on edge. Now, they are reaching out, and it's pretty dramatic, the amount of volunteers and the people helping these refugees as they come piling in, and you see the just the, uh, the sheer number of young children, I mean, young children, children that you'd hesitate to maybe take like on a long trip. And instead they, you know, everybody has one suitcase, one suitcase is allowed on the train, but the Polish people, they're very, very concerned of of where this is, is going to go. Um, and, and, uh, it's just, it's real uncertainty. There's an atmosphere, Michael, I, I have an experience of, uh, but people feel this is different than the pandemic. It's different than a storm. It's, um, it's hard to pinpoint. It's, it's, it's real tension in the air. And, a, uh, and they're very fearful of where this whole thing is leading to
1: them. Well, what an experience for you. Now, just for the people listening to this across America and across the UK, where we are heard on uh, podcast radio and a number of stations, um, uh, this is a heck of an experience for you. People should know that you're not representing a major network. You're not representing a major news organization. You're on a radio station in Rhode Island and you're using new media and, and you finance this totally by yourself. And... Uh, what kind of psychological and, and you know uh, thought process did you have to go through to reach a point where you got on a plane and went to a city you've never been in that's um, several miles away yeah. from a country at war with Russia? I
7: mean, wow. <laughs> well, you know what? Uh, first of all, I don't know if one of them. I mean, I've worked for some of the bigger companies. I don't know if they'd let someone do it because there's definitely an element of danger. I have traveled Europe. I've traveled a little bit. This is where the story is. And what I like about it is, you know, it's just been such a polarizing time between the elections and COVID. I, I, I'm getting back to and I like just let people tell their stories. Regular people have incredible, riveting stories. And then it's what these people are experiencing. You just think of what it would have been like to not being in our what – what would it have been like to be in our format during the Second World War or something like that? Mm-hmm. Um, this is extraordinary what's taking place. There's there's a common bond. They can tell that I wanna just hear their stories. They they want people to know what's happening. They it means something to them that, you know, that someone like myself has taken the time to go over. I got on the phone with some of my top sponsors, explained what I want to do, and everyone was just a hundred percent on board. So I thought, you know what, if I think about this too long i'm going to talk myself out of it it's been very very challenging it is tough doing the broadcast um in in a in a foreign country but you know i they they can tell i also have two mic flags and i put a blue and yellow just so they realize that i'm supportive of ukraine i also michael i've I've bounced some of the propaganda that we hear off them and they have no idea what i'm talking about these are poor innocent people that and and I want to just also stress they have pictures they live in nice homes and they have nice businesses. This woman showed me what a beautiful garden, and they have such a beautiful way of life. And it's it's completely completely gone. I mean, we see like the hurricane comes ripping through Florida, but they 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 love their country. They have a nice life, and in a moment's notice, pack up one bag and they leave it all behind. It is it is brutal to watch, but it's yeah. I I. I find them very inspiring, and they, they have a good spirit about them. Um, those two children, those two teenagers, the brother and sister, they're traveling alone. Their parents stayed behind. They got them on the train. Oh, my. It's – um. You know, it's just the, the perspective of – and I, I even put out I, – I don't want to hear another parent complain about they had to go on a plane with the child at Disney World and they couldn't keep the kid quiet for the trip. Oh, we see, you know, the, the, uh, the families in the restaurant and the child's, you know, walking around the restaurant causing a problem. This is um, – I mean these are poor in it. They're not poor, but they're just innocent gotcha. people and they love their country. They love the president. It puts
1: it in perspective, doesn't it, um, it though? Is, it it is puts such it, a story. It is it puts our issues into perspective, doesn't it? And I, I tend to think that this war was gonna change the times in terms of uh, talk radio conversation, uh, the main subjects we talk about, and even the propaganda you referred to. Um, I think a lot of people are doing second yes. thinking and a lot of soul searching as to where they've stood on Russia and where they've stood on Putin up until this point. Uh, do you do you agree?
7: I do. Or at, at least, I mean, I hope so. Uh, because this is, you know, and again, I, I think social media was caught off guard with some of the propaganda that is out there. Um, and I, and I think our country, I mean, we're definitely a little bit behind the eight ball trying to explain the nature of exactly what's going on, but he is universally, every person, they hate Putin. They, they, they admire Zelensky, the little 15 year old boy that he and his friends weren't sure what to make of him. And they play call of duty. And the fact that he is sticking around and he is willing to fight for the people, um, they are all rallying i mean it's it's just so different michael simply because and you know, we've been living through it this divided nation and you know the election was stolen and january 6th and you're you're i'm i'm speaking with people that are truly they are under attack and and they they are not by their choice but at war and their way of life is over and and i'm not sure everybody gets that that we, we have two nations that seemingly, when we talk about an attack on democracy, that, that January 6th was, was not bad. This is an attack on democracy. And you're really seeing people that, this is not like the powers out, or again, you know, a blizzard comes in, or a hurricane, or you know some of the people stuck in traffic. This, this is a game changer, and the shockwaves are all over Europe.
1: That's John DiPietro of WNRI Rhode Island speaking to us from Regil, Poland, where he's reporting back to the States this week his observation of the massive influx of Ukrainian immigrants and other aspects of the war taking place on the other side of the nearby border. I want to congratulate John DiPietro for taking his dedication to talk radio to the furthest limits possible. Really a proactive reporting initiative indeed. I also want to thank him personally, for sharing his work and experiences with the listeners of this program. Absolutely riveting, excellent reporting. You're plugged into the Michael Harrison rap. Last week, we had one of the greatest radio talk show hosts of all time, Ron Owens of KGO San Francisco fame, come out of retirement briefly to discuss the Russia-Ukraine crisis with us. Here's part two of that conversation in which we asked the old master for his thoughts about spiking crime stats in American cities. San Francisco, a place that you have done radio and know so intimately for so many years, is one of the the cities uh, and regions that... um, uh, is on the top of the list with New York and Chicago um, and, and Los Angeles, um, where, where there's just this terrible spike in crime. you have any observations about that? I'm sure you do.
4: Oh, do I ever. <laughs> well, Bill, I think it's June the 7th. I'm not sure. It's the first week in June. And uh, that, there's an election that will take away, hopefully, one of the people who are most responsible, his name is uh, Chesa Boudin, and he is the district attorney. And I don't want to go into a whole thing. If anybody's interested, they should actually just Google Chesa, Chesa Boudin, B-O-U-D-I-N. And you'd learn about it. He is just the, the cops have basically given up because when they try and do something, he is just totally as liberal as you can get. And, you know, I'm not exactly an ultra conservative. But uh, he is just, he's giving liberals a bad name, I think. It's just the cops just watch things going on because there's nothing they can do. They know if they go and file charges, he's just going to throw them in the wastebasket. And that's what's happened. The city has just gone in the downward curve. It's its unreal. You go to any other city in the United States, you want to get something from Walgreens, you feel weird because there you have to pay for it. San Francisco, you just go grab it and do it. Yeah, I
1: know. I've heard about that, and it's uh, it, it, it's almost unbelievable. It, it, if it weren't it's real, it's
4: also watching somebody somebody just uh, relieving himself right in front of you. Yeah, you're walking down the street, a guy does it. I mean,
1: well, that certainly it, uh, can it's the do. Beautiful
4: city in the world, and it makes it just just very. It's very sad. I do hope it'll change, yeah. but. And that's thoroughly
1: optimistic. Somebody taking a dump in front of your, richie, your, your ritzy apartment uh, can certainly hurt the property values. <laughs> I don't mean to be crass, but uh, it comes down to uh, not just yep. uh, loss of uh, quality of life, but, but loss of, uh, of uh, an economic uh, soundness. It, it's It stinks. It really does.
4: And literally, too.
1: That's Ron Owens of KGO San Francisco fame, one of the greatest radio talk show hosts of all time, joining us in retirement to discuss the disturbing rise in crime in the city by the bay, as well as the rest of America. And that about does it for this latest installment of the Michael Harrison Wrap, an overview of the National Conversation, looking back at the week of Monday, March 7th through Friday, March 11th, 2022. Looking ahead, I'm sure we'll have plenty to talk about next week, including the ever-lurking unknown factor, that unanticipated surprise story that can take the national conversation spinning off in a totally unexpected direction. We sure do live in interesting times. I can be reached via email at michael at My podcast, The Michael Harrison Interview, can be heard at mhinterview.com. And if you want to stay in touch with the inner workings of the talk media industry, please visit Talkers.com. The Michael Harrison Wrap. Our producer is Matthew B. Harrison. Thank you for listening.
0: The Michael Harrison Wrap is a production of Good Phone Communications presented in association with Talk Media Network and Talkers Magazine. Copyright 2022. All rights reserved.